It is 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. This passage is about Paul the Apostle, knowing that his life is going to end soon, writing his last commands and his last words to Timothy, his young disciple, uh, Timothy, who he had been raising up and training. And so this is why this passage gets read and taught so often at an ordination for a young pastor. You know, ordination for us, it simply means we as a church, after having had Trevor on for about two years or so, we got together, if you were here for this, and I said, y'all pray about it for a month and then we'll have a vote at a business meeting. Do you think that he's called for ministry? He thinks he's called for ministry, and that's one thing, but do we agree, uh, we, the saints of the church? And so we prayed about it, and we got together, and then we voted unanimously that, of course, we agree as well. So ordination, while not specifically a scriptural practice, it's simply our stamp of approval to say to anyone else, and when he goes off someday to be an excellent pastor in his own right, to be able to say to another church, this church has lived with him for a while. And we think he's called, and we think he's ready, and we think he can do the good work. But this passage is not for young pastors alone. It really works for every last one of us. Anyone who would endeavor to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this is what Paul says you've got to do. Paul in prison, Paul going to his death, Paul saying, listen, in this passage, he's going to say, I am being poured out like a drink offering. Is my life given up now? I'm, I know I'm about done running the race, and here's what I want you to do. So we get from him a summary of following and running the path that God calls us to do. On that, have you ever heard of a race, any kind of race, a 5K, a marathon, in which some people went off track and started running down the wrong path. It happens more than you think. And I imagine it's awfully frustrating when it happens to you that you've been training and training and training, and then somehow it's dark, or it's early, or it's foggy, or it's just not marked well that you end up running several miles in the wrong direction got some news for you about the Portland, Oregon Marathon in 2019. Every runner, is the last time that they had that marathon, every runner's and race director's worst nightmare came true at the Portland Marathon in Oregon, October 2019. Fourteen of the top 15 runners went off course at mile nine and ended up on the freeway. <laughs> yeah. 22-year-old Callan Khan of the Bowerman Track Club was way out in front, <laughs> and fortunately for him, his Portland police motorcycle escort knew the course, directing him to a right-hand turn a little bit after mile nine. But the chase pack was far enough back that they didn't see Khan turn, and between 14 and 20 runners kept going straight instead of making the turn, and they added between 10 and 20 minutes to their race times and put themselves in danger of road traffic because the road wasn't closed. The site, well, yeah, whoops, <laughs> that's a good one. 
The situation that arose by misinformation from a bystander directing the runners to go straight. Some guy going, yeah, go that way. <laughs> misinformation by a bystander directed runners to go straight since there was no sign indicating they should turn right near the entrance to the Ross Island Bridge. They ended up on the Southwest Barber Boulevard, a main thoroughfare that was not closed to traffic. Ultimately, the runners found their way back to the course a couple of miles further south. Sometimes, for various reasons, whether misinformation, distraction, not paying attention, or circumstances, you end up not following the right path and not in the place where you know you ought to be. This is what Paul warns Timothy about today. He says, Timothy, here's how you stay on the right path until the very end. And these words are for all of us as well. Let's pray together and let's read 2 Timothy chapter 4. Father God, all I want today is that you would show us the right path to go on and give us the strength to do it. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says to Timothy, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and because of His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, correct, encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but According to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear, and they will turn away from hearing the truth, and they will turn aside to myths. But as for you, as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only me, but to all who have loved His appearing. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Paul teaches Timothy, but he really teaches all of us what he's to do. Paul's passing on not just to the next generation of preachers, here's what you have to do, but the truth here holds across all of us, and it works the same for any of us. Paul says, I'm about done. I know my death is near, he says. I've, I've run the good race. I've, I've held on to the faith. And I know I'm about to finish, but here's what you need to do in the meantime. And so here's what we need to do in the meantime. And first, it's this. Live, live a word-centered life. If we're going to stay on course, if we're going to stay on the path that God had called us to, then the Bible, Scripture, can never be far away from us. It has to be central to our lives so that we know where we're going and what we're doing. Plenty of people have said, you know what, it's just so hard to know what God wants. I, 
I don't know what God wants for my life. Why is it so difficult to know? I would argue, no, no, that God has spoken very clearly to us. And it's not that it's difficult to understand, but that we make it difficult to want to do sometimes. Or as Chesterton once said, it's not that God's way has been tried and found wanting, it's that it's been found hard and left untried. I think God has spoken very clearly to us in this way. He has His Word here before us. The easiest possible way we could know what God wants for each of our lives is that He's written it down right in front of us. We can read it any day of the week and every day of the week. And if you're at all confused about what it means, He doesn't just give us His Word. He gives us His Spirit. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you to help you understand what He wants. Not only do you have the map and the guide, the very Word of God, but you also have the Spirit of God leading you to obey and strengthening you to obey and helping you to understand. But wait, there's more. We also have each other. None of us go out to do this alone. We're in this together to say to each other, hey, I know what God wants for you here. Look, come take a look. I've read it. I was in that exact same spot. How good is it when you run into a difficult position in life and you can go and find somebody who's already been through that situation. I love it so much when I'm able to pair people up in the church that way. When somebody comes to me and they're grieving and stressing about some issue, whether it's that they just lost a job and they're not sure what's going to happen for their family, or perhaps they just received a bad health diagnosis and they're terrified about this. It's so nice, no matter what difficulty, I'm able to re frequently point people to other people in the church who says, I... I'm so sorry, and I'm going to be praying for you about this and encouraging you about this, but I got great news for you. That guy right over there went through that exact same situation a couple of years ago. Let me come and introduce you so that they can help you and show you, hey, I went through that same thing. I had that same difficulty happen in my life. I received that same diagnosis. And here's how it's going to go and what God is going to do. We live a word-centered life, and it's not unclear it's actually extremely clear to us what God wants for us. We just have to be willing to do it. And he says, I want you to keep this word in your life and then, in fact, preach this word in season and out of season. It's an interesting phrase, right? What is out of season for preaching the word? What is in season? It's obviously a metaphor. But, you know, I think for, when it comes to preaching, the answer is there's times for preaching Scripture hey, what's up? It's 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. But there's also every other time slot during the week in which it's still the right time to be sharing this and talking about this. Amen. I also think in each of our lives, there are times when we are so excited to follow Christ, and there are some times when we feel worn down and beaten up and out of season and not wanting to follow Christ. But at all times, whether on fire and God's doing something exciting and everything's going your way, or all's difficult and it's a struggle to get up in the morning, in season or out of season, we have to devote ourselves to the Word of God. It's what will bring us through the good seasons and the bad seasons at all times. And here Paul lists three things that Scripture is going to do for us specifically. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. And in fact, if we're honest with ourselves, we need all three, correcting, rebuking, and encourage. 
In all of our lives, sometimes we start to veer. We start to go wrong just a little bit. We start to uh, leave the main lane and uh, run on the shoulder a little bit. Have you ever driven a car where the alignment's not quite right? And so instead of driving like this, you kind of drive like this to keep it going straight. You have to hold it here, or even just, you know, down here is usually where I end up with the old Civic. It's, uh, it's about right here will actually get me going straight in that one. And you, you, you've got to correct the course a little bit. So it is for all of us with our lives. We simply need correcting. Have you ever tried to... We've talked about this a couple weeks ago. You know, I told you about how I was trying to steer one of my children towards the bathtub. It was bath time. I was like, no, 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 just turn over there, just gently on the back of the shoulders. Wait, 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 wait. this way. The bathroom's over there. No, we're going to get in the tub. It's going to happen. Uh, don't, don't fight on this one. We're going over there. Likewise, we need course correction. It is possible that today you have gone astray in one way or another. Scripture says we are all like this. We've all, like sheep, gone astray, or like children at bath time, cars with poor alignment. We have all gone astray. We all need correction, but Scripture will do this for you in your life. And if you need it, then there's nothing better for you today than to let it correct you and steer you true. The second thing that it's supposed to do is rebuke. Rebuke, a little bit more firm. That is to say, we don't just go astray, each of us, but sometimes we just want what is wrong. We desire what's bad for us. We fantasize about things that are no good at all. And what we need at those moments is a rebuke, a firm no, not there. You'll think of perhaps a dog. Have you ever had to rebuke a dog that was trying to do something that would hurt it? Dogs are the best. Sometimes the things they want to put in their mouth, though, they need a firm rebuke. No. Sometimes a dog just needs to hear, no, you put, spit that out right now. It's not good for you. And in fact, we even have a proverb exactly about this, that most vivid proverb where it says in Scripture, just like a dog returning to its vomit is a person going back to their sin. Yeah, it's hard to forget that one and get that mental picture out of your mind. But we're like this. Sometimes we just return to what's awful in our life or awful ways, unhealthy ways of dealing with difficulties in our life, and what we need is a rebuke. But you know, at that, at that moment in your life when you need it, there's no better gift than to receive the rebuke from Scripture. And so we regularly pray together as a church, Father, let's hear your word today. And if it rebukes us, all the better. We'll take that as a gift because we need it. Because we know that our joy comes into being on the right path with God. Also, Scripture encourages us. I don't need to tell you today that like correction and like rebuke, you also need encouragement in your life. And good news Scripture's got you covered. It is there as well for you. And this passage, even as, even as Paul is telling Timothy, hey, here's how you stay on the right path and what you need to do. Hey, uh, Chris, do I need to get a different microphone? Is mine coming in or going out? Oh, am I on the pulpit now? Yeah, I am. All right. Just want to make sure they were hearing it over there. 
All right, I'm going to turn mine off then. Is that good? Should I turn it off? All right, I did. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. There we go. We're done. We also need encouragement. We all need encouragement. And Scripture has you, even in this very passage, even as Paul is saying, here's the right way and here's the wrong way, Paul encourages Timothy. How do you encourage somebody when you're saying, I'm about give out? How do you encourage somebody when Paul is saying, essentially on his deathbed, I am being poured out as a drink offering? Paul knows and Timothy knows what he's talking about, that he's going to be killed for his faith. How do you be encouraging at this time? And yet, Paul says, I've held on to the faith and I've endured the difficulty and I know that I'm about to receive the prize. And he says, you know what, Timothy, that prize is there for you too. This crown of glory, this eternal life, Christ making every wrong right and us living eternally with him. There is great encouragement in scripture for each and every one of us. And the encouragement is this, things are difficult and there are always difficulties in this world. But hang on and endure because the best is yet to come. Even in our darkest nights, we are not left alone now. And we will certainly be with our God forever. Amen. Let us rejoice in this. For an outdated example, an outdated example, I give you The Biggest Loser. Wherein, long ago, on the TV show The Biggest Loser, does I even run anymore? I don't know. But way back when we first got married, Meredith enjoyed watching the show. And there was the two coaches initially. There was Bob and there was Jillian, right? My outdated. And Jillian was mean. And Jillian, her saying was like, I dare you to quit. And she was always yelling at somebody. And Bob was a lot nicer. And I always thought to myself, I'm beyond Bob's team. That's <laughs> what I'm doing. I don't, I don't do this. I don't, I'm not looking to be yelled at. I could use the encouragement. But I'm not looking to be yelled at. How about another uh, outdated example? It's sort of like the difference between coaches and professional sports. There was once infamously, though now retired, Bobby Knight, the basketball coach who threw chairs at players out on the court and got angry. And it was like watching a sideshow all on its own to watch him. And then there's my favorite coach, Tony Dungy, now retired, but who I just listen to and believe everything he says in commentary about football. I love coach Tony Dungy. His book was called, he had a couple books out, one of them is called Quiet Strength, and the title says it. Speak of how kind and good and Christian man that he is. What do you want today? You want somebody to throw a chair at you? I'll oblige you if you like, you know, we can. It's not much for me because I find I'm not much for yelling because I find so much joy and encouragement out of Scripture for us. And it is the joy of the Lord that is our strength and compels us forward. Yes, it's perfectly appropriate to be angry about sin in our lives, in your own lives, in the lives of people that you love, to hate seeing sin drag them down and hate seeing them do it and hurt other people, including you. But Scripture encourages us. Come, repent. Come, find joy. Come, turn away from that evil and rejoice in the Lord. We, each and every one of us, have to live a scripture-centered life. 
to be ready in all seasons, in season and out of season, to allow the word of God to correct us and rebuke us and absolutely to encourage us. We must also offer scripture to one another. See, the way Paul says it here to Timothy is that you are to preach the word. It's possible that your spiritual gift is not teaching or preaching or even forgetting gifts. It's possible that your calling is not teaching or preaching. And this is perfectly appropriate and acceptable. We've all got different spiritual gifts and we need every last one of them for this to work together. But your calling, whether a teacher or not, is to still Take the word of God like a cure and an antidote to the people in your house and around you and to let them know so that they can be encouraged and corrected and rebuked, yes, but drawn closer to the Lord. I've often said, you know, when you go to do your own Bible reading time, let us, each of us, not consider our Bible reading time done until we've shared it with somebody else. Whether it's good for my children or not, at our house, I'm Dr. Dad. You know, if somebody has some kind of weird infection or something going on or needs their nose cleaned out, you know, you send in Dr. Dad and I'm going to, it's time for your checkup and I'm going to come and handle it. And again, yeah, poor bird kids, right? Uh, but I'm the one who, uh, who usually administers these things or figures out what kind of concoction of various children's medicines in the cabinet are going to work uh, for this particular thing before we take them to a real doctor. We take our kids to real doctors also. <laughs> should know that. I'm just the first line of defense. You got an injury? Come over here and let me see. Oh, sometimes they don't like it with injuries because I'm not, I, I don't give them as much sympathy as they think they need, but I give them what they do need, which is, you good? You're good. Kiss on the forehead. Go on. Get back to playing. You'll be fine. You don't need a Band-Aid. It's not really bleeding. Get back to work. Uh, you got an injury? You got a sinus problem? You got trouble? I've got something for you. And we, all of us, act like this for our friends and our family members. Yes, by all means, gather together in church, in Sunday school, to hear people teach scripture who are gifted at it, but you don't have to be. Your call is still the exact same thing, to take the antidote, to take the cure, to take the solution, and to take it to our friends and family members and proclaim scripture to them, encourage them, and help correct and rebuke them where it's needed as well. So finally, how? How do we get scripture everywhere? I offer you today to quite literally put scripture everywhere. It's awfully easy these days to find some nice decorative Bible verse you can put on like the wall in every room of your house. There's one. You can take a dry erase marker and write it on your mirror in your bathroom in the morning. There's two. Keep a Bible there in your car and simply read a verse or two through the Gospel of Mark every time you get in the car. There's three. I'll get you even closer. You ready? I put one of our cards in the pew backs and if you're over in the overflow in the chair backs today so that everybody has these. And you can take one of these. These are just the cards that I write notes to you on if I'm writing out cards. But I've got one for you too. And it has a Bible verse that's on the top of all of them. Psalm 3, 3, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. Amen. But I just put this here for you to take today, every last one of you, take one. There's more in the lobby if there's not enough in your pew back. And write a scripture verse on it today. 
Perhaps write this very passage that we're talking about here as your encouragement of what to do so that you can stick it in the dash of your car or on your bedside table or in your mirror in the restroom, wherever it is that you put it so that you can have scripture in all places as well. Even better, we've got plenty of these. Go grab some out of the lobby. They're on two different tables out there. It's to write a scripture passage on it and share it with somebody else in that way, fulfilling this very passage. Let us all center our lives around the word of God, being ready in season and out of season, especially out of season, correcting, rebuking, encouraging, and offering scripture to one another. You know, in fact, one last way that you can do this, we are finishing up. This is our last Sunday. I don't have one of the books under here. That's all right. This is our last Sunday uh, doing this Who's Your One program, and it's been really fruitful for me. I really enjoy this, and I've enjoyed reading it with the kids. It is just an every day of the week for 30 days, a Bible verse, and then a prayer that you can pray for somebody who needs to put their trust in Christ. And it just helps you pray for those friends and family members you know around you who are hurting apart from Christ and need to know how good it is to trust him and obey him and to have their sins forgiven. And there's the scripture each day for you. While we are concluding it, if you started the first week with us, then we'd be finishing about now. And if you didn't, if you started the second, the third week, if you're starting today, that's fine too. There's more of these books out in the lobby and you can take one with you. And as we've even said, you can pray this for yourself if you need to. But you can also pray it for somebody you love because we all have people that we love who are living, as this passage says, not tolerating sound doctrine, but instead living according to whatever their desires are. As Paul says in another letter, it's like their God is their stomach. Isn't that a powerful illustration? If you live simply gratifying whatever desires come up, then essentially your God's no more than your stomach. That's what he says in a terrifying illustration. Let us be praying for our friends and take scripture to them. Next, as we're talking about that, verse 3, Paul says, A time will come when people will will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and instead turn to myths. That was happening as Paul was writing it, and it's happening now, is it not? You know it and you can see it everywhere. People believe crazy stuff and are led astray to believing crazy stuff, would prefer the myth to the truth, would prefer the conspiracy to what's true. And there's a lot of reasons why this is difficult. One is the proliferation of scientific studies, especially in sociology and and psychology, but also in the hard sciences as well, where because of the need to publish in order to make it in academia, there's a lot of studies out there, and they've been talking about for the last 20 years, a replication crisis that very few of any studies show, when somebody says studies show, very few of them can even be replicated, which means to say, is it real at all? 
And it's become difficult for us, we who love medicine and love science, we who adhere to it because God made the universe discoverable to us, we who rejoice that antiseptics exist and antibiotics if the antiseptics didn't work and surgery if that doesn't work. We love these things. And yet, in pursuing what is not true about God, plenty of people have turned away from sound belief into crazy things, weird stuff that's simply not true, especially in the soft sciences, psychology and sociology, looking for therapeutic answers to a sin problem. Be sure today that there are therapeutic problems and good counselors that can help you through them. Take seriously for what it is, depression and these other things and anxiety. But know also that not all of our problems are therapeutic. In fact, our very core problems are sin issues. And these can only be handled by faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. And then the cure is given out freely and completely by him. For others, okay, so forget about studies. For others, they're led astray by products that will make their life better. No joke, I wanted to find for you an illustration today of some kind of product claiming to solve a problem for you that you didn't have beforehand. Uh, because sometimes we need to sell this product. We have to invent a problem first. No, no joke, the very first thing that came up as I was Googling this was a website advertising, here's the headline, 30 products that will solve problems you didn't know you had. Because if you didn't know you had a problem, did you have a problem, really? If you're not missing it, baby, we can go without. We can think that there's some kind of therapeutic or scientific answer for something that it's not meant to answer, products that will make our life better, or even relationships. We get into some kind of relationship thinking, this will lead to the good life. This will be good for me. Sometimes these things are distractions. We are selling ourselves a bill of goods. This can happen to each one of us, what scripture is talking about here, a time when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves. I'm going to go find somebody who will tell me what I want to hear because I don't like what you're saying, so I'm going to go find somebody else. And eventually, you don't have to look far, you can find somebody who will sell you anything that you want to buy. And this is just tragic because it can happen to any of us and has happened to all of us at one point or another. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardships, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What's the opposite of allowing your desires to rule you? Self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit. The idea, the further that you follow God, the longer that you're following him, the more you grow in this self-control. Because gratifying every desire isn't the freedom that the world tells you it is. Rather, it becomes slavery to those very desires. Instead, the fruit of the Spirit for you today, and this is freedom, is being able to control yourself. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so instead of you, don't, don't find someone who will tell you that the things that you want are good for you. Rather, 
Know what is good and true by having devoted yourself to the word and instead live by the self-control that God is trying to build up in you. Are there hardships outside of your life that are hurting? When it comes to desires, it's self-control. When it comes to hardships, what does he say? Endure hardships. The call of Christianity, it doesn't always look like success the way we count success in the world. But sometimes it simply looks like holding on and enduring until the very end, that which God has given us. That is success that Paul is going for in this very passage. He says, I'm going to endure until the very end in this faith, no matter where it takes me. Let it be for us as well. And along the way, do the work of the evangelist. That is simply being the person who takes scripture to other people. That's not a magic word. It's not strange. It doesn't mean something special. It means you going out and saying, have you heard about Christ? Do you know that he changed my life? It works precisely like me talking about new restaurants that I've found works. Speaking of which, have you tried the new taco truck outside of NTB? Because it's fantastic. And I am now an evangelist of the taco. I was so glad when we had a new, new Ellington Mexican food place. And then it shut down, but we got a taco truck. And it's really good. This is being an evangelist. Do you understand what just happened there? In the same way, but far more important, I say to you, y'all, Christ changed my life. I was all kinds of a sinner, and I lived in some dark times and places in my life that my sin led me down to, but he forgave me of all of that, gave me a new heart and spirit, and brought me into trusting him. And I have so much to be thankful about in Christ, and that's what I want for you. Amen. Now, do you understand what evangelism is? You go, do the work of the evangelist. Be the one who announces, sure, that there's a new taco truck, but all the more, that there's a Savior who forgives sins. There's a way to be made right with God. And of all the ailments that we have as humans, death is the most certain one, and there's a cure for that as well, and Jesus Christ is Lord, who offers eternal life to all who come to him. Finally, don't stop until you're finished. Maybe you're new to following Christ today. You're fairly new to this. Don't worry. You don't have to be scared. You can come along and follow Christ as well. I I was once in Guatemala and thought I'd play soccer with some children that were there, and they were like five. And I thought, this will be fun. I can play soccer with these kids. And they were like the Harlem Globetrotters. And I was the Washington Generals. I was terrible. Those kids knew what they were doing. Maybe that's like you and Faith today. You just started following Christ. And if I hadn't announced the page number in the Bible for you, you wouldn't have known where to find anything in here. That's okay. Don't be afraid. Keep following him. Maybe you're late starting this. Maybe you've come to Christ at a late age and you're jealous of these children who put their trust in Christ from a young age and have been following him all the time. That's okay. Jesus teaches a parable about workers that go out into the field. He says there's some workers that go out at the morning. There's some workers that go out just before lunch. Some workers that go out after lunch. And you know what? The owner of the field even hires some guys on five minutes before quitting. And then when they're all done and come out of the field, he gives them all the same reward. This is a parable about heaven. It doesn't matter if you're late to it. The forgiveness of your sins and eternal life in Jesus Christ are yours as well. You're never too late. 
You're right on time today. Come on. Maybe you have strayed far away from God. And when we're talking about in season and out of season, you know that you are way out of season. Then let today be the day where you turn back to him. You know what happens when you're running a marathon and you go off course? You can't just cut back to the course. It's against the rules because you have to compete on the same path as everybody else. So you have to turn around and go straight back to the path right where you left it and continue on. Perhaps this is you today. Don't worry. Just come right on back to the path and start following Christ with us today. We are overjoyed to have you along with us. Maybe you are at your end. Maybe you, like Paul, know that you don't have that many days, months, or years left in your life. Don't quit until you're finished. Don't give up until the very end. Let your prayer today, maybe even just one more person, God, could I lead even one more person to the Lord? Y'all, I talked to um, our longtime member and friend, uh, Fern McCauley, this week, who has been in uh, Trinity up on Lawrence uh, for a few years now and hasn't been able to attend church with us, but faithfully follows everything that comes out of the church, whether it's listening to sermons, watching them, following the newsletter, but most importantly, praying. And she told me, she said, I pray for you all the time, and I pray for everybody else there in that church all the time, and you let them know that I'm not done yet. I can't come down to church any longer but I'm praying for every last one of those people. Amen. Let's not quit until we've finished. Finally, maybe you've never actually inclined yourself to living or sharing the word of God. Francis Chan once had an illustration. It's like a gymnast who gets out onto the balance beam, you know, the tall beam one, and gets out and goes out for the competition and then just lays down on it and clings onto the bar for two minutes and then gets off at the end. <laughs> Perhaps this has been your life before Christ. Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm going to follow Christ. But I've never actually endeavored myself to do anything that was remotely challenging or go outside of my comfort zone in any way. Well, today is your day as well. Let's end today with a prayer time. Which one's your prayer? We're all just going to bow our heads and pray silently. What are you praying today? Are you praying, Jesus, I want to believe. If this is true, you got to show me. Let me know because I'll believe it, but I need help. Are you praying for the first time today to say, Jesus, I will follow you? When we bow our heads, let that be your prayer. Jesus, I will follow today. Perhaps your prayer is, Jesus, I am new at this but let me help somebody else out anyway. Amen. Who can I help trust you? Perhaps your prayer today is this, Jesus, I repent. I am away from your word and I am away from you, but I'm coming back today. Know that he will receive you gladly. If you return to Christ today, there's no guilt trip. There's only great rejoicing. Is your prayer today this? Jesus, I know my days are numbered, but let me just lead one more person to Christ before then. Is your prayer today, Jesus, I, I don't think I've even tried to help anyone trust you, but help me do it this week. I will now commit myself to it.
Whatever your prayer is, let's bow our heads and you offer up this prayer to the Lord silently where you are. Take a second and pray for somebody who you know needs your encouragement to come and trust Christ. And then I'm going to close this by reading day four out of the book and praying it for one of my friends who's not a believer. Acts chapter 16, a God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Theratira, was listening, and she opened her heart, and she responded to what Paul was saying. God, Lydia's story gives me hope for the salvation of my friend Andrew. Give me the boldness of Paul. Make me courageous to share the gospel message with Andrew in a way that's clear and compelling. Help me to reject fear that causes me to shy away from speaking the truth in love. Do for Andrew what you did for Lydia. Open his heart to believe the gospel. Align the circumstances of life to soften his heart to the truth of the gospel and cause him to listen intentionally and respond humbly to Jesus' offer of salvation. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.